0: I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me to Judges chapter 9, Judges chapter 9, going through this this astounding book, like so much of Israel's history throughout the Older Testament. It is filled with sin, my friends. It It is not surprising. Since we all have a sin nature, we came into this world with one, which is an appetite for selfishness and pride, me, mine, and more. You recall the book of Judges follows the the book of Joshua. Joshua, this great godly leader, led the nation of Israel into the promised land that God had given to them. And now that they're in it, how would they live there? That is the question. We know that this book covers a period of 330 years. And it is marked by this phrase, sin cycle, over and over again. They are in the land. They look around and see what the other nations are doing, and they dive right in. And their gods, their demon gods, become their own gods. And God disciplines his people. It's an act of love, by the way. And God would raise up a people to attack his own, to enslave them until they cried out to God. And God would raise up a judge, a deliverer for them and bring them back into freedom. And this cycle just went on for, think of it, 330 years. It's a familiar cycle, my friend. You may have experienced it a time or two yourself. But here in uh, Judges chapter 9, you know, it, it, it just is one's a familiar story. I mean, we know it from our own lives. We've seen it in the lives of other people, and here it continues on. So before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We struggle with that because we love ourselves so much. We are easily drawn away by the things of this world. But God, the flicker of love that we have, we ask that your spirit will fan that here today. That our eyes will be opened, that we will understand the dangers all around us. And honestly, the danger is within us. Set us free from that here today, I pray. Be glorified, God, how we listen carefully, how we focus on your word, that we might understand the roadmap that leads to life and avoid the road altogether that leads to destruction. God, be glorified here. It is my prayer that the name of Jesus will be lifted up. And in his name I pray, amen. You ever notice how many commercials and articles, if you're on Facebook, it seems like every fourth one is something about your health, you know? Three signs you've got diabetes, you know? Uh, Four signs your summer clothes ain't going to fit, you know? Um, I mean, you know, it's just the one thing after another here, you know? Four signs you're about to have a stroke. Wow, scary stuff, I'll tell you what. I think that's the whole idea. Are you terrified enough to spend your money on what we're selling? Yeah. Well, I've got some terrifying stuff for you here today. Three signs that you're heading down a road that ends in destruction. Three signs is what we're going to look at in the life of this man that we're going to introduce here in just a moment. But three very important signs that a wise person will take careful note of. Yeah, you ever been on vacation, you know, visiting some friends in a place you've never been before, and, and you're about to take a little trip out to go see, and they say, hey, watch out for that curve after the big blue barn. <laughs> now, the fact that they're telling you that likely means that they care about you, and if you do not take heed, you're headed for trouble. That's what I'm doing here this morning, friends. And the lesson is in the life of this man, Abimelech. You remember his, his father, Abimelech's father, his name was Gideon. And Gideon is one of those, those judges that, that is a hero of the faith. The thing he did, he simply did what God told him to do. I mean, do you remember, you know, God raised him up to deliver his people Israel, enemies all around, and he gathered this army of like 32,000 men. I mean, they are ready to go and crack heads, you know, and God says, too many, because you go win this battle, and you're going to think, look how great we are, and so God's plan was to whittle the 32,000 down to 300 men. Against thousands and thousands of people? Well, we can't win then. Exactly. God was going to win this battle. Hmm, Gideon. And they were so thrilled about his victories, they said, why don't you be our king? Why don't you be our king? Now, because you are good students of the word of God, when you hear that word king, you instantly think, Deuteronomy 17, right? (laughs) You're very honest. But hopefully I can change your mind on that. Friends, turn with me to Deuteronomy 17. It's going to be very relevant in our passage here today. Deuteronomy 17. Yeah, let's see. That's the one in the seven, 17. All right, I believe we jump in at verse 14. Now, this is the book of Deuteronomy here, friends. This precedes Joshua and Judges. Okay, Deuteronomy is is Moses' swan song out of here. I mean, they have just been freed from, you know, slavery 430 years in Egypt. God has used Moses to bring them out, and they are on the edge of the promised land. In Deuteronomy, that word, if you break it down, it looks like the first part of it is duet. It means second, second law. Namos is the Greek word for law, Deuteronomy. And he reminds them as you go into this promised land, remember what it is that God had told you. And one of the things he told them about here in Deuteronomy 17 everybody say Deuteronomy 17. Oh, wow, like a chorus. That was beautiful. I'm serious. I love to hear you. Wow, great. Okay, and then here in verse 14, the Lord says here, When you come into the land that Yahweh your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. And that is precisely what they're going to do at the end of the book of Joshua. I mean, Judges. Judges. I'm going to get tired of this judge thing, all right? And so, look, he says, you're going to say this. I mean, God knows what's happening before it even happens. And like all the nations around me. Now, verse 15, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. You want a king? You come and ask me, and I will appoint a man to be king over you. Did you notice that? God says, I'm the one that picks him, not you. One from among your brothers, and you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Solomon, anyone? Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of God, uh, the, uh, the throne of his kingdom, don't miss this, friends. He, that king, shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law and approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up among his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So very specific rules. Who chooses the king? God does. And what is this king? What, what kind of prohibition? You don't go back to Egypt, okay? And you don't multiply horses. Why? Horses are tanks, friends these are the instruments of war you're not to become a warring kingdom multiplying wives they will most certainly turn your heart away from me this is not a slam on women friends this was just really to prepare us for king solomon and his 300 wives and 700 concubines i think it's the opposite of that you know and they turned his heart away from god foreign wives and then this, this very specific, make his own hand, this king, before he begins to sit on that throne, must make his own hand copy of the first five books of the Older Testament, the law. Write it out yourself. Why? Because you know it, because you had to think about it, and you wrote it out. No one will be able to say, I didn't know. And then it's checked by the Levitical, the, the Levites the Levitical priest, And so there it is, my friends. Now we know something about a king. So when we're reading this passage, we're going to go, boom, 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 Deuteronomy 17, God has already said something about this. So here we are, friends. Three warnings, three warnings. Three warning signs you are heading down a road of destruction And that begins here in verse 1 with taking what doesn't belong to you. Taking what doesn't belong to you. Now, Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, remember Gideon uh, had some (laughs) difficult spots in his own life. And he was renamed Jerubbaal. And he went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them... Notice this A little family reunion you know, Abomalek has here. And he says to them, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubal rule over you, or oh, that one rule over you. And remember also that I'm your bone and your flesh. A little self-marketing here, self-promotion. You know, if anyone's going to be king around here, the best idea might be me. (laughs) Be careful of that, my friends. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And my friends, that is the kind of philosophy and practice that promotes longevity. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. But this man does not do that. He's going to take something that doesn't belong to him. Verse 3, and his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf and all the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he's our brother. And once you begin heading down that road, my friends, it's a big, steep hill, and it goes down quick. Here in verse 4, getting support wherever you can, partnerships with people who have no business making partnerships with you. And they gave him, verse 4, 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barith. Baal Barith. Everybody say it. Baal Barith. We know what that means. Baal is a demon god. It is an idol that uh, was created by man that is in worshiping this, you are worshiping demons. And what about this word "bereath? It means covenant. A covenant with Baal. I mean, here are the people of God who have left this covenant that God had made with them and made a covenant with another god. And did Abimelech look at this and say, Oh no, this isn't the way to go here. I'm not partnering with a demon. No hesitation. He takes the money. I mean, money is money, right? Yeah. And so here he is in verse four, getting support wherever he can. And now notice and look at here in verse five. I'm telling you. start heading down this road of self-promotion, that hill is a really sharp incline down, my friends, because he goes from manipulating his family to taking money from demons to murdering his own family. There it is in verse 5, and he went to his father's house had Ophrah and killed his brother's The sons of Gideon, of Jerubal, 70 men on one stone. Now this image of 70 men on one stone gives the idea that he took them to this place to kill them as an offering to God? No. Seventy brothers, one after the other, he took their lives. What's a bad dude. So he killed the brothers, the son of Jeruboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeruboam, was left, for he hid himself. How many times in the Scriptures have we seen that? Someone just hidden. Well, he's just a little kid, though. What, what is he going to do? <laughs> well, here it is, friends. So he's taking what doesn't belong to him. He wants to be king, and he's getting rid of the competition. And here in verse 6, he's ignoring the warning signs of doom. And all the leaders of Shechem came together at Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king. Who made him king? Was it God that made him king? Guess what? He ain't king. He ain't king. And they made him the king at the yoke of the pillar of Shechem. And when it was told Jotham, you know, that little guy hiding, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, listen to me. Or maybe he had a higher pitched voice, I don't know. Listen to me. (laughs) You leaders of Shechem that God may listen to you. And he tells them a story. This is a parable. Some people think Jesus invented them. Oh, there's all kinds of parables in the Old Testament here. But here is his parable. Verse 8, the trees once went out to anoint a king over them. Guess who he's referring to. <laughs> and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go and hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, Will you come and reign over us? But the vines said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Having run out of any kind of decent candidate, verse 14 tells us, then all the trees said to the bramble. Friends, think of this as the stuff you start fires with. Okay? This is not a grand and glorious anything. And went to the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. They dug deep into the trash for this one. And all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, Well, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. (laughs) There's no shade. The only shade available to the bramble is for the bramble itself. But if not, don't miss this, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Don't miss that. Let fire come out of the bramble. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubal and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, For my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. Who did that again? It was God that did that, right? It wasn't wasn't Gideon, was it? Gideon only had 300 men against thousands. 100,000. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. If you have acted in good faith and integrity and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Joshua, Jotham ran away and fled into Beer and lived there because of Abimelech his brother. All right. So the warning has been given. Honored anybody in what you are doing right? Have you honored anybody in this, or is this all about yourselves? Well, we're going to see the answer to that here, because uh, warning sign number two that you're heading down a hill and there's no turning back, or at least it feels that way. The warning sign number two is fighting against God's will. You know what God said, but you're going to do it anyway. You know what I'm talking about. I know I shouldn't do it. I know that it's wrong. But walk into it, you do. Turn around, friends. You think it's in secret. You think it's only once. One turns into two, and three turns into a habit. That habit turns into a lifestyle, and then you look and wonder, "How did I get here?" One choice at a time. So here he is fighting against God's will, against divine retribution. Notice verse twenty-two: Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God. I miss this. You're going to want to hear this, God. Sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. I think uh, that little parable included something about dealing honestly with one another. But now they are dealing treacherously. Treacherously. Hmm with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons, and this is why, why would God do this? A, is this even within your realm of understanding that God would send an evil spirit for any purpose? Let's pause from this story for just a moment to understand this, that God is sovereign over all of creation. These demons were once angels, ministering angels, but they rebelled against God. They are fallen angels, demons, evil spirits. Spirits are what angels are. These are evil. And God commands them, even in the book of Job. You know, God calls Satan to come and report. Don't miss that. There is not this equal uh, powers in the universe fighting one another. God is sovereign over all. So God calls Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, sure, he's faithful, but look at how good his life is. Oh, really? Well, go, go ahead and take away some of his stuff. Well, we're going to get lost in that account, aren't we? God used the same thing in Paul's life to keep him humble. I <whistles> wonder if God would use whatever it takes to turn your heart to him. The answer is yes, whatever it takes. Yeah, but not whatever it takes. That's how much God loves you. And so here we see this divine retribution. God sending an evil spirit to cause division betwixt the two. And here he is fighting against God's will in this rebellion. Verse 25. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops. And they robbed all who passed by them along the way and it was told to Abimelech. And Gaal, the son of Abed, moved into Shechem with his relatives. And the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes and the vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And so they set him up. And they taunted him to fight. Look at here in verse 28. And Gaal the son of Abed said, Well, who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubal? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that his people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. There's an awful lot of eyes in this account, is there not? Look to me, my, mine. Hmm. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. Yeah. So here he is taunting Abimelech. And remember, God is bringing this about because of the murder of 70 people. Now here, Abimelech is urged to fight by his own man. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his go by night to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. (laughs) Yeah. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gaal, the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city, and Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush, and when Gaal saw the people, he said to them, he said to Zebul, look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, you mistake the shadow of the mountain for men. And Gaal spoke again and said, look, people are coming down from the center of the land and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Remember that oak where he became king? Hmm. Then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now, you who said, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gaal went out. "'at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. "'And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, "'and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. "'And Abimelech lived at Arumah, and fell wounded up to the... "'I'm sorry. <laughs> "'And many fell, many fell wounded up to the entrance gate. "'And Abimelech lived at Arumah. "'and Zebul drove out Gaal and his residence relatives, so that they could not dwell at Shechem. Hmm. And now here is Abimelech who said, I want to be king. And he wormed his way into it, politicking all the way. And he thought he got what he wanted. And he got it at what in his opinion, at whatever price it would cost. And he killed 70 of his own brothers. And now it has all been taken away. Hmm. Well, if I can't be king, then no one's going to be king. Straight out of the mouths of a baby. I'll destroy it before someone else gets it. And that seems to be warning sign number three. If I can't have it, I'll destroy it. And here we are in verse 42. Where Abimelech, who once wanted to be the king, is now the destroyer of Shechem and killing all of the people. Look at here on verse 42. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. And he took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the field and he looked and saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose against them and killed them. Friends, th- he's, he's killing everyone. Because, because that is precisely what one who is selfish ends up doing. One who is all about me and I don't care about you. And so he killed them. Verse 44, Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. So here he is at the gate of the city. And Abimelech fought against the city all day. And he captured the city and killed all the people who were in it. And he raised the city and sowed it with salt and then he went to the leaders and when all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it they entered the stronghold of the house of el El-berith. Elberith El Elohim Berith covenant hmm and Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem, the leader of the tower of Shechem were gathered together and said, so what does he do in verse 48 he burns down that tower And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it up on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and followed Abimelech and put it in the stronghold against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire. Hmm, may fire come out of the bramble. And there it is. So that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. But he didn't stop there. He's attacking the city of Thebes. And, the, and then Abimelech went to Thebes and camped against it, and, against Thebes, and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all of the men and the women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in and they went up on the roof of the tower. And see, about right now, Abimelech is feeling on the top of the world. No one messes with me. And it is at that very moment when your pride is all blown up and you're floating over the city, the destruction will come, my friends. Look at here in verse 52. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Well, the dangers of coming close to this tower is you become vulnerable. But in his Blindness of pride and arrogance. They thought I did it before and I'll do it again. A certain woman, verse 33, threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. And then he called quickly to the young man of his armor bearer and said to him, draw your sword and kill me lest they say of me, a woman killed him. This is astounding, is it not, the arrogance of this? Yes, I'm about to die, but I'm so concerned what people might say about my death. Somebody bring a sword and kill me quick, lest they say a woman killed him. And in humiliation, he dies. He ran down this path, my friends, and it is recorded and preserved for you and I here today that we might see it that we might look for ourselves in this story, this account. Where are you? Are the warning signs flashing before you? Well, his young man thrust him through, killed him with his sword, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone went home. Much ado about nothing, huh? But don't miss the lesson in this. Thus, and how is this all tied up and wrapped in a bow? With these words, thus, God returned the evil of Abimelech, Abimelech which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubal. In other words, friends, what goes around comes around. The evil he did returned on himself. The evil they did returned on themselves. This is the law of the harvest. If you plant tomato seeds, what should you expect? If you're planting watermelon seeds, don't look for pumpkins. The law of the harvest what you sow, you will reap. What you sow, you will reap, my friends. What goes around comes around. So be content with that which God has given you. God made this man a judge. Was it not enough that he could rule and deliver these people? No. He wanted to be king. He wanted to be what God had not made him. And it ate him up inside. Be content. Contentment is wealth, my friends. To say, I have enough is great riches. Lesson number two don't be vengeful. It is, it is not within your hand to take revenge, revenge belongs to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Sometimes your bloody nose is from God. Sometimes those insults are sent to God to humble you. Sometimes being looked over is God's design in your life to cause you to get your eyes off of things and positions and power to look at him. And finally, hey, don't partner with evil. Listen to me. What connection does darkness and light have? If there is one, there cannot be the other. Do not partner with evil. The Spirit of God begins to poke at you and warn you and say, This is not the way. Listen. or if you don't, you are running headlong to destruction.